It's time to be equipped with spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on the biblical truth and defend their faith. Now here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle. And on this program, we answer questions about creation, evolution, and moral relativism. What do we mean by moral relativism? Well, there are no absolutes. What's true for you is not true for me. So we'll be answering questions like that in later shows because we discuss those kind of topics. And if you happen to have a topic you'd like to have discussed about creation evolution, you can email us. And we can be reached at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. So if you have a question about creation evolution, uh, just send us a little note, uh, info at creationtraining.org. You can also go to our website where we have many, many things out there for free, including uh, 30-minute videos you can download or see on the web. We have my PowerPoint slides I use in many of my talks. They're all downloadable for free. And our website is creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. So that's how we can be reached. Well, we have another interesting topic for today. It's called 10 Great Mistakes by Evolutionist. 10 Great Mistakes by Evolutionist. So let's go by the numbers here. Number one, what was a great mistake? It was Piltdown Man. Now, Piltdown Man was discovered in 1912. What did they discover? Well, let's talk about what they did before we tell you what they discovered. They found portions of a skull and portions of a jawbone, and they immediately thought this was a missing link. And they determined this fossil evidence, portion of a skull, some ape-like or some jawbone, and a few teeth, and they considered this to be 500,000 years old. Now, I don't know how they dated that, but that's what they said. It was a missing link somewhere between ape and human, 500,000 years old. Now, folks, this information lasted in our public education system, the fact of evolution, for almost 50 years. 50 years this was being taught in our public education system as the fact of evolution, 500,000 years old. Well, after about 50 years, somebody took a look at the actual bones rather than the pictures they draw in textbooks, and what they discovered was the bones had been chemically stained. What they really were was a portion of a human skull, a portion of a lower ape-like jaw, some teeth which had been filed down to make them fit. And then they said, this is 500,000 years old. No, folks, this was very recent, only hundreds of years old. See, the fraud was discovered in 1953. Almost 50 years, this thing was in the textbooks as the fact of evolution. Discovered to be a fraud, but it still remained in the textbooks for several years afterwards. That's a good example of what we're teaching to support evolutionism. Folks, this is not science at all. This is fraud. Well, let's go to an, a second one. T mistake number two is called Nebraska Man. Now, guess where we found Nebraska Man? That's not a hard one. How about Nebraska? It was found in 1922. 
And they claim this creature, again, a transition between an ape-like creature and a human being, was one million years old. Within a matter of a few months after this discovery, an article was published in Science Journal as the new missing link. They, they must have found a lot of good evidence on this one because from the evidence they discovered, they were able to reconstruct Nebraska man, his wife, and family. So what did they actually find that they claimed this creature was one million years old? A tooth. All that was discovered was a single tooth. And from that tooth, they thought they could draw the entire creature, his wife, and family, and put that on display. That doesn't sound like science at all to me, folks. That sounds like evolutionism. Now, later they found some more bones that went with that tooth. And guess what? What they discovered, it was not an ape's tooth. It was not a human's tooth. It was an extinct pig's tooth. What I like to say about that is, it was the first time a pig ever made a monkey out of a man. Folks, this is evolution, not science. These are mistakes, well-known mistakes by the evolutionists. Well, Nebraska man didn't last very long, not like Piltdown man, which lasted for almost 50 years in the public education system. Nebraska man was quickly hidden, done away with. So let's go to number three, the coelacanth, a fish. Well, the evolutionists found some fossil fish, and they called this one a coelacanth. Let me spell you that one, just in case you're interested, because it has an interesting spelling. It is C-O-E-L-A-C-A-N-T-H. That's C-O-E-L-A-C-A-N-T-H. That's the coelacanth fish. They declared this creature, this fish, to be 70 million years old. That's how old this fossil was. And they said, this creature was growing legs. It was no longer just a fish. It was evolving into an amphibian. In other words, fish becoming an amphibian. Growing legs. They said, this is our fossil interpretation. This creature is a true transition between a fish and amphibian. And this was in the textbooks again. Well, in 1938, amazing discovery. They found coelacanths were not 70 million years old. They were still living today. Living coelacanths were found. What did they look like? Not a transition at all. They looked identical to fish. This creature had absolutely no legs. Does this tell you something about our public education system, what they're trying to teach our children? Folks, they're not trying to teach science anymore. They're forcing our children, our youth, to believe in evolutionism. Forget about science. It's evolutionism is the king now. So the coelacanth fish. But that creature ex continued to be taught in the public education system for decades after that discovery as the real transition creature. So there's three right away. Piltdown man, Nebraska man, the coelacanth fish. All completely wrong. All great mistakes and reinforced in our public education system to reinforce evolutionism. Well, let's go to great mistake number four, which incidentally is still being taught in our public schools. It's called junk DNA. So let's talk about the mistake of junk DNA. Now, according to many evolutionists, 
and also in our textbooks, is claimed that about 98% of our DNA is junk. Why do they declare that? Well, they say only about 2 to 3% of our DNA is used for making proteins. In other words, 2 to 3% is coding to make our proteins. Therefore, what is the other 98%? Well, it must be junk. In other words, they assume, this is what the evolutionists assume, that this other 97, 98% is a wasteland. It's leftover DNA from our days of evolving from a lesser type creature, such as a fish. And it's been discarded, is no longer used. That's what they mean by junk DNA. And that is still being taught in our public education system. We need to get our... We need to get our public school teachers trained into understanding real science. You see, all that idea of junk DNA has changed. A few years ago, a project called the ENCODE Project, that's E-N-C-O-D-E, ENCODE Project. It's an acronym for the Encyclopedia of DNA Elements. That's ENCODE, E-N-C-O-D-E, an acronym for Encyclopedia of DNA Elements. Now, the ENCODE project consisted of 400 scientists in 32 different laboratories studying what they called junk DNA. They released their findings in 30 papers published in different scientific journals. Now, this is not creationists. This is scientists. Scientists, not creationists aren't scientists. These are, most of them, evolution scientists. The result of their publishing they estimate that at least 80% of the genome is functional and not junk. Folks, this is now well known. So why is it still in our textbooks? Because our public education system is not interested in teaching all the real science. What they are interested in is promoting evolutionism. Now, the ENCODE, the leading analysis coordinator, The person in charge of this stated this, quote, In light of this evidence, it's obvious that a more appropriate term for junk DNA is needed. In other words, let's get rid of the word junk DNA. We need another term because we found out it's functional. He also went further to state this. We are the most complex things we know about. It's not surprising that the manual is huge. I think it's going to take this century to fill in all the details. What he's discovered, folks, is DNA is so complex, we can't understand it all yet. Every year, you're going to see we find out new things about our DNA. It is the most complex molecule we know of. And our best scientists in the world have not figured this thing out yet. Yes, we've had the genome project. Yes, we know where some of the, what the coding is. But we're constantly finding out new things that make this even more complex than we ever estimated. And it is not junk. Now, we read this. If they would have just read the Bible, they would have understood there's no such thing as junk DNA. For example, in Psalm 134, verse 14, we read, For you form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Folks, there is no junk. God does not make junk. Now, this finding that there's no junk DNA 
is completely inconsistent with an evolutionary worldview and also with what is being taught in our education system. That's why they're leaving it out of the public education system, because it clearly refutes evolutionism, and they cannot allow that. So once again, evolutionists are wrong. And once again, our education system has been teaching wrong information to support evolution, and they continue to do this even to this day. So we've had Piltdown Man, Nebraska Man, the Coelacanth Fish, Junk DNA. Now let's go to great mistake number five called vestigial organs. First, we need to define what is a vestigial organ. These are structures that have no useful function, but which represent the remains of organs that once had a use. In other words, they're left over from our evolutionary days. For over 100 years, evolutionists have continued to use this idea of vestigial organs as evidence for evolution. Modern textbooks still claim vestigial organs as proof of evolution. However, claiming an organ is useless does not tell us where it came from. Well, let's take a look at just three of these so-called vestigial organs. And the textbooks are still teaching these. The evolutionists think and teach that these three, next ones, the appendix, tonsils, and cossacks, are leftover organs and have no real use. I still come across students in high school that will argue with me that the appendix has no use, folks. They have not done any research on this, and these teachers should go back to school and learn their subject. For example, the appendix and tonsils, as it turns out, are part of the immune system. Now, here's a quote in the Evolutionist Journal, The New Scientist. This is a quote from an Evolutionist Journal, and it states, quote, although it used to be believed that the appendix had no function was an, and was an evolutionary relic, this is no longer thought to be true. Its greatest importance is the immunological function it provides in the developing embryo but it continues to function even in the adult. That was in New Scientist, an evolutionist journal. We need to stop teaching false information in our textbooks to support evolutionism. If evolutionists must resort to teaching false information, then you can no longer call it scientific at all. Let's start teaching the true science in our schools. And even though some of these beneficial functions of the penguins have been known for decades. Again, it's still being taught. Let's go to the Cossacks. They teach this. No use. That's our tailbone. It's an anchor. This is what they don't teach. It's an anchor point for many muscles. It's the anchor point for an entire pelvic diaphragm. Folks, this is not a useless organ in our body, our Cossacks, our tailbone. Yes, you can live without it, but you're going to be very uncomfortable. We can live without our appendix. It's not going to harm us at all. Many people have their appendix removed, but we can live without it. But it does have a use. It's part of the immune system, especially when we're developing in the embryo. So to teach these are useless leftover organs is not education. It's false information. Let's get science back to the classroom. Now let's go to mistake number six, the Archaeoraptor, a famous transition. 
between dinosaur and bird. Yes, that's what they teach in our textbooks today. That's what evolutionists are teaching, that dinosaurs didn't go away. They evolved into birds. You know, when I t talk about that to elementary students, you know what they do? They break out in laughter. They actually break out in laughter. Why? Folks, that is a very silly idea that dinosaurs could evolve into birds. But yet, from the teaching of this, year after year after year in high school and college, it tends to break our students down. And pretty soon, you know what? They're believing silly ideas like dinosaurs can evolve into birds. And we're going to cover that issue at some point and uh, take a look that that is completely unscientific to believe anything like that. So the whole idea, Archaeoraptor, what did they find? Well, in China, they found some fossils. And National Geographic published this in one of their journals, colored pictures to boot, colored pictures of this, what they thought this creature must have looked like. And they drew all these great colored pictures of a bird-like dinosaur full of feathers presented as the fact of evolution. Then the truth came out. You know what had happened? Somebody pasted feather imprints onto the fossil evidence. In other words, here's an example of evolutionists finding a fossil before it is even completely examined. They cover the media with a new evidence, new evidence for evolutionism. This is not science, folks. This is not science at all. F pasted on feathered imprints. Folks, you know it's not possible for a dinosaur to evolve into bird by any known mechanism. So once again, another great mistake. Now, what did National Geographic do? Well, a couple issues later, they put in the back of one of their journals a small little paragraph trying to apologize. That didn't do. A journal after that, they had come out and print a major retraction and that they had made a pretty big mistake again. So National Geographic, uh, be careful what you read in that magazine sometimes, especially when they talk about origins. They don't seem to be subject to being uh, examined for what they put in there. Well, let's get to mistake number seven. The Miller Experiment. In 1953, a gentleman by the name of Stanley Miller, a graduate student, set out to demonstrate how life may have originated. And he built this laboratory, and in there he built a spark chamber, and he put certain gases in it, such as methane and ammonia, and left oxygen out, because that's what he thought the Earth's atmosphere must have been like these alleged billions of years ago. Then he generated electrical sparks to drive the chemical reactions. Then it goes on to say that Miller got amino acids, which are like the building blocks of life. They're what make up our proteins. Well, guess what's in our textbooks? The Miller experiment. It is still there showing, demonstrating how life might have originated by natural processes and God was not needed. Well, what they don't tell you in the textbooks, and again, this is the science. Let me give you the science behind this. First of all, Miller started with the wrong ingredients. He left oxygen out because Miller was a smart man, no doubt about it. He was a very smart man. He knew, as we know today, life can't start in the presence of oxygen. Oxygen just decomposes molecules. It takes away the bonds. So life could never start if there's oxygen there. It decomposes the bonds. But if we don't have oxygen in there, which Miller tried to demonstrate that there was no oxygen, we have a problem. Because if there's no oxygen, there's no ozone. No ozone, everything's crispy critters. Everything is fried. 
So if we have oxygen, life can't start. If we have no oxygen, life can't start. And also, life can't start in water, folks. That's what they're trying to talk about today. Because water, there's a process called hydrolysis, which tears apart the molecular bonds. Water is one of the worst places in the universe for life to begin. So the whole Miller experiment actually turned out to be a fraud. Why? Yes, he got amino acids, but he got the completely wrong shape and types of amino acids. He got a complete mixture of left and right-handed amino acids, which incidentally, every experiment does that today. But you see, life requires only what we call left-handed amino acids. They come in two shapes, left and right-handed, but all amino acids come left-handed. They're all left-handed in life. So the Mill experiment was a complete failure, but yet they continue to use it in the textbooks. Well, let's go to mistake number eight the origin of stars. They teach in our textbooks how we have these great big gas and dust clouds that they're called nebula, and they rotate around and gravitationally collapse inward to form stars. Folks, that's baloney. That's not true at all. Yes, these nebula are rotating around, and yes, because of the rotation and the gravitational effects, they begin to collapse inward. But as they collapse inward, they generate heat pressure. And this is something we can measure. That heat pressure is stronger than the gravity, and causes the cloud to expand outward, not inward. No one has ever seen a star form, and based on the principles of physics, they will not form. Yet, in our textbooks, they continue to teach how this happened. Folks, this is not science. This is indoctrination into evolutionism. So number eight, the origin of stars, false information. Another big mistake. Here's another one, number nine, that our DNA is only 2% different from chimpanzees. That claim goes back to 1973. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what they're not telling you. That claim was made before we had even done, mapped out the entire human or chimp DNA. We'd only measured a portion of it. That's not told in the textbooks. See, the human genome has about 3 billion letters. If we were, to only, if we were only 2% different from the chimpanzees, here's another number they don't use. If we were only 2% different, that's 60 million differences. That's also not mentioned in the textbooks. <clears throat> Research today, though, comparing the entire genome, now that we have mapped it out, is closer to 20%. 20% difference. And now the latest journals are saying even up to 30% difference in our DNA between humans and chimps, which is hundreds of millions of differences. But yet, our textbooks will not allow that in the school system. This is another big mistake by the evolutionists. However, it's still being taught that we're only 2% different in our DNA. When will our public educators get on board and start teaching science? <laughs> now let's get to the biggest one. Mistake number 10 is the rejection of the truth that there is indeed a creator who created all things, as it says in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Folks, that is the true facts. There is a creator. Without that creator, nothing could exist. And it also tells us in God's word, that we are without excuse. No one has an excuse for not believing in a creator God. We read this right in Romans 1, 19 and 20. 
because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Folks, no one, the atheist, no one has an excuse for not believing in a creator God, because that verse tells us that he's put it in our heart of hearts that there is indeed a creator God, and let's stop changing who that creator is. He told us how he created. It was in six days, and he created all things. But here's another thing our creator says. And this is a comforting part about our creator. His word states that no matter what you've done, his mercy and grace is big enough to cover it all. You can find out about this creator by reading his book. It's called the Bible. I'm Mike Riddle, and you've been listening to Defending the Faith. Again, we talk about issues of creation, evolution, and moral relativism, and we operate this program purely by donations from our listeners. If this information has been helpful, consider helping us continue this radio program because it does cost us to stay on the air. If you'd like to help us stay on the air, you send your donations to CTI, that stands for Creation Training Initiative, CTI, Post Office Box 2415, that's 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. Again, that's CTI, Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. You can also go to our website if you'd like to donate online. Our website is creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org. On our website, you'll find out all about our training courses. We come to you to do our training courses. We have four one-day training classes. We have one five-day training class. Our five-day training class, we only offer once a year, and we only allow 60 people to come to that class. But when you're done that five-day class, you're ready to start teaching about creation and evolution in your church or even start traveling around the country yourself. We will train you how to do this. So that's our five-day training class. It's called Creation Apologetics Teachers College, and that's for college-age students and above. So if you want to find out about who we are, go to our website, creationtraining.org. If you'd like to send us some information about creation evolution, or you have a topic you'd like me to cover on one of these programs on creation evolution, contact us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. And I want to thank all of you, and God bless. That's all for today's show. Defending the Faith airs each Saturday at noon right here on KBXL 94.1 The Voice. For more teachings and resources, visit creationtraining.org or the program archive page on 941thevoice.com.